Good morning, and welcome to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. Today is Saturday, December 10th, 2022, and we are broadcasting live from the northwest side of the city of Chicago. Excuse me, I was just adjusting the microphone there. Sorry about that. Uh, this is the Christian Faith Radio Hour. My name is David Canfield, and I will be your host for this hour. You can visit us online at our website, thechristianfaith.org. And if you have comments or questions about the program or about the Christian life in general, you can reach us by email at notes at thechristianfaith.org. So last week, we began to consider this matter of the gospel of the kingdom. And we had uh, some feeling to do that because so few Christians today have a realization that they were saved for the sake of establishing God's kingdom on the earth. But that's how the New Testament begins, the preaching of the gospel. And the New Testament begins when John the Baptist comes out and he declares, repent for the kingdom of the heavens. You know, we feel, I repented so my sins could be forgiven. I repented so I could go to heaven. Well, okay, that's not bad. But the New Testament view is, we are repenting for the kingdom of the heavens so God can have his rule on the earth. That's why Christ calls, him to, calls us to himself. And as we said last week, uh, it's not adequate for us simply to be believers in Christ. It's wonderful to be a believer, but it's not adequate. The Lord today, he's looking for disciples because it's only when he has disciples that he can have his ruling and reigning and bring his heavenly authority to the earth. And so we had a lot of uh, feeling to share something about that last week. You know, as I mentioned, I'll say it again, we preach the gospel quite often because we're concerned that people are dying without Christ. But the concern in the New, in the New Testament is different. The concern is not that people are dying without Christ. The concern is that people are living without Christ. So many people today just have a sense, my life is meaningless, my life is pointless. I don't know why I'm here. Just when you come to know Christ as your, your Savior and you begin to live under his heavenly authority as one who is a part of his kingdom on the earth today, that's what your life should be for. It's for establishing God's kingdom on the earth today. Well, why do we need to do that? Uh, it's because, in large part, it's because there is a will in the universe today that is opposed to God's will. It's against God's will. And of course, that is the will of Satan. And we touched a little bit on this last week, uh, on the rebellion of Satan. And so God wants to bring his authority to the earth to deal with, to deal with the rebellion of Satan. Now, first Satan rebelled against God and he took so many angels with him. According to Revelation 12, he took a third of the stars of heaven with him, meaning a third of the angels followed Satan in his rebellion. So many, we don't have no idea how many angels, tens of thousands, probably millions of angels followed Satan in his rebellion against God. So that was the first rebellion. And then after God created Adam and Eve, this evil being, Satan, induced Adam and Eve to join him in his rebellion against God. And since then, mankind as a whole has also been in rebellion against God and against his authority. So the earth we live on today in a very real sense is in rebellion against God and in rebellion against his authority. But he's calling us out of that uh, rebellion to repent 
as we said, for the kingdom of the heavens so he can have his rule on the earth. And so that's what we began to cover uh, last week. And, uh, and we want to continue on this theme this week. But this week we want to say a little, little bit more, what does it mean to say that I'm, I'm living for the kingdom? We want to define that. What is it that I'm living for today? I'm living for the kingdom of God. But what does that mean? And, and so, like I said, we want to define that a little bit. And it's very specific, actually, in the Bible in, in a couple of ways. And the first way it's specific is that if we say we're living for the kingdom of God today, it really means we're living in the reality, reality of the kingdom of the heavens. And that's what the New Testament and specifically the Gospel of Matthew call it. The kingdom of God today on the earth is the reality of the kingdom of the heavens. And to understand this, we need to have a little kind of a general view of the whole Bible. Uh, you know, in, in a general way, we can say God's kingdom is his ruling from eternity past to eternity future. How he rules over the whole universe, not just the earth, but the whole universe. That's God's kingdom. Now, the, the term the kingdom of God, that specific term does not appear in the Old Testament. But it does talk about God's kingdom, especially in the book of Daniel. But it's referring in a general way to God's overall ruling. The kingdom of the heavens is a very, it's a, a section of the kingdom of God that uh, is for today and it's for the next stage, as we'll explain a little bit more here in a minute. But I want to say, first of all, there, there's an evil teaching, uh, pretty evil teaching, which says that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the heavens are the same thing. You, you can use these terms interchangeably and they say, well, Matthew just uses that because he's talking to the Jews. And I, when people come to the word in such a light way, in such a loose way, it just, it's, it grieves me to the uttermost. I just, you hate me. The Bible, when it uses terms like this, we need to really pay attention to it and understand, enter into the thought of what these terms are really all about. I, I, I have to say, in my study of the Bible, uh, one verse, uh, a couple of verses in Isaiah chapter 66 really uh, are one principle that impressed me of how we need to come to the Bible. And that's Isaiah chapter 66 verses 1 and 2. And that's where uh, God is saying, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you're going to build for me? And then in verse 2, he goes on and he says, my hands made all these things. And, but he says, to this one I will look to him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. If we want to really have the scriptures open to us and really see what the scripture is saying, we need to be those who tremble at the word of God. When God says something, we're so fearful that we would miss the real meaning. And one of these terms, uh, we need to be fearful about misunderstanding is this term, the kingdom of the heavens. It's not the same as the kingdom of God. So what does the term the kingdom of the heavens mean? Well, that means, as, as it, it, it's, it's basically self-defining. The kingdom of the heavens is when the heavens are ruling over the earth. That's the kingdom of the heavens. You could, to say it another way, you could say the kingdom of the heavens is the ruling of the heavens. And what do the heavens rule over? They rule over the earth. That's why Jesus, when he taught us to pray, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, 
uh, pray, Father, your name be sanctified, your kingdom come, your will be done as in heaven, so on earth. He tells us that in the kingdom of uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. Now it's right, the kingdom of the heavens. That exact term is only used in the Gospel of Matthew, and there's a reason for that. Uh, but it's significant when Jesus tells us to pray, pray that way. It's in the Gospel of Matthew. He's defining for us what the kingdom of the heavens is. The kingdom of the heavens is when God's will is done on the earth as it is in heaven. Now we need to understand this. We need to define this a little bit. And to do that, we have to understand the different ways throughout history God has had for dealing with mankind, just briefly. And these different ways, uh, you may have heard the term dispensations. God has different ways, different dispensations for how he deals with man, man in different ages. Uh, you could say there's different ways Instead of dispensations, you could have you could say God has different ways, different administrations for how He deals with man. So we're just going to go through those briefly. The first way, the first dispensation, the first administration He had for dealing with man was the dispensation of innocence. That's before the fall. At that time, God simply dwelt with man, with Adam and Eve on the earth. When you read Genesis chapter three, you see God was walking. With, in the cool of the garden. He simply, God simply dwelt with man. So that's not the ruling of the heavens over the earth. God was with man directly on the earth. So that's not the kingdom of the heavens. And then, of course, man fell um, into sin. And so at that time, God put man under the rule of his conscience. So that's called the dispensation of conscience. Uh, after that, you had, you had the, um, that didn't work. Man rebel, rose up and rebelled uh, uh, oh, it became just flesh, as it says in um, Genesis chapter 6. So God judged the whole earth with the flood. And he began again with Noah. Under Noah, you had the dispensation of human government. That's where you see the beginning of human government on the earth. Well, in neither of these dispensations do you have God, uh, the, the ruling of the heavens over the earth. So those dispensations are not the kingdom of the heavens either. Then you had, in Genesis chapter 11, you had God's... Uh, the people rebel against God's rule. Mankind as a whole rebelled against God at the Tower of Babel. And so at that point, God gave up on dealing with mankind as a whole. And in Genesis chapter 12, he calls one out, Abraham, to be the father of the race that he's called out of the fallen mankind. And he's going to use Abraham eventually and his descendants to bring his kingdom to the earth. So is that the kingdom of the heavens? It, it is not, but it is a, something of a picture of the kingdom of the heavens because you do have God ruling over this one individual. So it's a picture of the kingdom of the heavens, but it's not a kingdom yet because it's only uh, one individual, Abraham, namely, and, and a few that follow, follow him, his, some of his descendants. But it's not God's, uh, it's not the kingdom of the heavens yet, but it, is, it gives us an idea of what this looks like because you do have God ruling over one man on the earth. But that's called, typically Bible teachers call that the, the dispensation of promise. It's not the kingdom of the heavens yet. Of course, and that lasted up until the time of Moses when God gave Moses the law to give to the children of Israel. And that's the rest of the Old Testament. That's the dispensation of law. So is that the kingdom of the heavens? And the answer is still no, because during the dispensation of law, God dwelt on the earth with his people. That's the characteristic of that dispensation. First, he dwelt in the tabernacle, and then he dwelt in the temple. 
So God was ruling or was seeking to rule over his people, the nation of Israel at that time, from the earth, not from the heavens. So it's not the kingdom of the heavens. So then uh, you have the New Testament. And that begins with this proclamation of the gospel, repent for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. So you have kind of a transition period during the gospels. Uh, and then, of course, the nation of Israel rejects Jesus. They reject him as their heavenly king. Uh, and he ascends up to heaven. And he pours out the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Is that the kingdom of the heavens? And the answer is yes. That's the kingdom of the heavens. Not in its outward form. It's in a hidden, mysterious way. But it is the kingdom of the heavens. Because you have Christ ruling from the heavens over his people on the earth today. And that is what we as the believers of Christ, as the believers in Christ, are called into. We are called into the heavenly kingdom of Christ on the earth today. So that's the reality of the kingdom of the heavens. That's what we have today. The next stage will be the millennium. And is that the kingdom of the heavens? And the answer is also yes. That's also the kingdom of the heavens. Now, at that time, it's not just going to be the reality of the kingdom of the heavens. It's going to be the manifestation of the kingdom of the heavens. Jesus, the kingdom, the new Jerusalem has not come down at that point. It will not come down to the earth until after the millennium. So during that time, you still have the heavens ruling over the earth. Now, But now it's not just hidden like it is today. At that time, the ruling is going to be openly manifested. So that will be the manifestation of the kingdom of the heavens. Praise the Lord for that. So you have two ages where you have the kingdom of the heavens in God's dealing with mankind. The first is uh, today in a hidden way, and the next stage is in the millennium in an open, manifested way. Then what about eternity? Is that the kingdom of the heavens? And the answer is no, because we see in the Bible, uh, in Revelation 21 and 22, the new Jerusalem, where God's throne is, comes down from the heaven to the earth, from heaven to the earth. And so God dwells with his people on the earth. So that's not the kingdom of the heavens either, e even in eternity. So the kingdom of the heavens is a very specific term. It only applies in this age, in this dispensation, the age of grace, and in the next dispensation, the age of the millennium, the millennial, the millennial kingdom of Christ. So that's the first way in which uh, this uh, term, the, the kingdom of the heavens, is used very specifically. But there's another way in which it has a very specific meaning. And that has to do with the promise God made to David. And we have to understand that uh, the kingdom of the heavens is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to David way back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. You know, there's a number of covenants in, in the Bible. You have God, the covenant God made with Abraham, the covenant God made with Noah. Uh, you have the old covenant with Moses. This is a covenant that God made with David. And in when he made this covenant, he said, You're going to, your throne is going to be established forever. That's People call it the Davidic covenant, the covenant with David. And again, that's in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And this is when David had already become king over Israel. And he uh, defeated a number of the enemies and he built himself a nice house. And he just had some feeling, God needs a house. And he had it in his heart. I want to build a house where God can dwell on the earth. But God sent Nathan, the prophet Nathan, to David to tell him, no, you're not the one to build a house for me, but I, you did well to have it in your heart to build a house for me. 
But then God, because David had it in his heart to build a house for God, God makes this covenant with David. This is 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 to 16. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set your seed after you, who you who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. Now, this has a partial fulfillment in, of course, Solomon, the son of David. But its ultimate fulfillment is in the person of Christ. He says, uh, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So here it's clearly speaking of Christ. His throne is going to be established forever. I will be his father. He will be my son. Praise the Lord, really so. Then it goes on, it says, If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men, but my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. So in this covenant, God strongly says, the throne of David is going to be established forever. God has to fulfill that promise. Now there's... Um, quite an evil teaching, uh, another evil teaching, which says that because the nation of Israel rejected Jesus as their Savior, therefore God's done with Israel uh, and the church has replaced Israel in all the fulfillment of the promises. You know, that's, that's really to take away from the word of God. That's a very, very, very serious matter to teach that way. It directly contradicts the promise that God makes to David here. He strongly stresses that more than once, he says. He's clear, your kingdom and shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. He wants to make it clear. I'm talking about forever. It's not. And he says, yes, I'm going to discipline your sons. He's saying that. He recognizes, yes, they're going to commit iniquity. They're going to sin. And that for sure was fulfilled in the, in the history of the kings of Israel and of David's descendants. And because of that, Israel suffered greatly and has suffered greatly, first in the Old Testament and, of course, now in the New Testament for 2,000 years after they rejected Christ as their Savior. But he still says, he still says, but uh, my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. In other words, I'm not going to do, even if they sin, I'm not going to remove you uh, and, and take away this promise like I took it away like I took away Saul's throne from him. I'm not going to do that. Your throne is still going to be established forever. So that's the clear meaning of the promise here. So this promise has to be fulfilled in a literal way to David and to his descendants. And of course, that will be fulfilled eventually when Christ comes to, to, uh, to establish his kingdom on the earth. Uh, you know, as I was getting into this, I, I was looking at uh, the Schofield Study Bible, very much helped by that. And, and the more I look at that Bible, that study Bible, the more uh, valuable I feel it is as a resource. I would encourage you, encourage you if uh, you don't have one, to get a copy of it. Now, I'm talking about the 1917 edition of the Schofield Study Bible. Not, there's something called the New, King, New, New Schofield Study Bible. Not that one. That's a very different matter. But the 1917 Schofield Study Bible is very, very valuable. You can find so much uh, in there about the principles that are in the Bible, how to study the Bible. And he pointed out, related to this matter of the kingdom, Psalm 89. And I'm not going to read too much of that. But to starting with verse 19, it basically more or less repeats the promise that God made to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 
But uh, he talks about, uh, I found my servant David, my holy one, and I've anointed him earlier on. But then in verse 30, again, it says, if his sons forsake my law, uh, I'll judge their iniquity with stripes. But again, verse 33, he says, nevertheless, my loving kindness, I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant, I will not break nor after the word has gone out of my lips, nor alter the word that has gone out from my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. So those people who feel that the kingdom of Israel is over, they're just taking away from the word of God. Again, we're not trembling at the word of God to realize this word has to be exactly fulfilled and it will be fulfilled eventually. Well, in the New Testament, when Jesus came, when he was born rather, uh, before he was born, the angel Gabriel came to Mary. And what did he say to her? And this is in uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 32. He's talking about the birth of Christ. This is Gabriel. Uh, we'll go back to verse 31, talking to Mary. He's, Gabriel says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Then verse 32, Luke chapter 1, verse 32, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So that's a fulfillment of God's promise to David in the Old Testament. He's saying, I'm, he is going to sit on the throne of his father, David. So to understand the, what the kingdom of the heavens is, we have to have a clear understanding. It's referring specifically to uh, God's promise to David in the Old Testament that he would have a son who will sit on his throne forever. Praise the Lord. Now, the New Testament begins with, as we've said, with this, this preaching of the gospel. That with John the Baptist coming forth and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. That's uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. And in chapter 4, uh, verse 17, I think it is, Jesus says the, exactly the same thing when he began his ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. Now we have to understand, uh, the kingdom of the heavens had not existed prior to this time, as we've said. And yet, now, finally, with the birth of Christ and with the coming of John the Baptist and with the preaching of Jesus, finally, this kingdom is at hand. The Jews never had the kingdom of the heavens. They had the kingdom of God. But now, because Jesus has come on the earth, the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. Unfortunately, of course, as we all know, the Jews didn't accept uh, Christ as their heavenly king. They rejected the kingdom. Basically, they weren't willing to repent. They wanted to have the kingdom, but they weren't willing to repent. And so they rejected Christ as their heavenly king. And so God did set them aside. He uh, 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 did, for the time being, reject them. In uh, Matthew uh, um, 22, let's see if I can find that. In Matthew 22, uh, he's talking, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And this is just before uh, he was uh, his crucifixion. He tells that parable of the vineyard. He says, uh, he's, God sends his servants to the Jews. Uh, to the, to, uh, in the parable, he sends them to his vineyard to get some of the fruit, and they reject him. 
and eventually they kill the heir. Of course, that's a picture of Christ. And, and he says, ask the Pharisees, what are, what are, what are uh, you going to do? Uh, what will this master of the vineyard do? And he says, they, they, the Pharisees tell him he's going to destroy those guys completely. Then Jesus interprets the parable for them in this way. He says, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you that the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. So here Jesus was saying, okay, you rejected the stone for God's building. For that reason, God's kingdom is going to be taken away from you. You're not going to have the kingdom. Now, because of the promise to David, we know that's not forever. But for the time being, that kingdom is going to be taken away from you. It's going to be given to another nation. That's the church, right? Uh, the, the, Peter says we're a holy nation, right? Um, uh, Paul says our citizenship is in the heavens. So in a sense, we're a nation before God. The kingdom of God is given to the church for today. But it's not given in an outward way. It's given in a hidden way. Uh, in a mysterious way. So it's not something outward, as I've said before. It's not something outward. It's given to the church in a hidden way, not openly. But it is given to the church. And so that's what we have to be clear about, is that the church today, the reality of the kingdom of the heavens today, is in the church. Now, <clears throat> as I said before, the, this term, the kingdom of the heavens, is only used in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and so because of that, some people say, that's one reason why some people say, well, it's interchangeable with the with this term, the kingdom of God, because in, the, in Acts, it talks about the kingdom of God. Uh, it doesn't use that term, the kingdom of the heavens. When they go forth to preach, it's the kingdom of God. But the reason, it's not that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the heavens are the same thing. The kingdom of the heavens is the kingdom of God because it's within the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is a more general term. So, but the reason why Acts says the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of the heavens is because the kingdom of the heavens really refers in its manifestation to that promise made to David in the Old Testament. So it would not be appropriate to say the real fulfillment of that promise is with the church today because it's not being openly manifested. You have to, it, that uh, the promise of the kingdom of the heavens will only be fulfilled when Christ comes to rule on the earth. We have it in a mysterious form today, but because it's hidden, it doesn't refer to it as the kingdom of the heavens. And because it's mainly among the Gentiles, the promise has to be fulfilled to David. So when uh, Christ returns, that will be the manifestation of the kingdom of the heavens. Then we can call that the kingdom of the heavens. But it's called the kingdom of God today, even though uh, it is the reality of the kingdom of the heavens because the promise was made to David, not to the believers in Christ. But it still is the kingdom of the heavens. And that's proven in Matthew 16 uh, when Jesus is talking to Peter. He makes that, Peter has that revelation of, of Christ. In uh, Matthew 16, he has this uh, uh revelation the father gives him he declares jesus asks him who are you he says you are the christ the son of the living god 
And he says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. That's Matthew 16, verse 18. But then he goes on and he says, and I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of the heavens. Whatever you bind on the earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on the earth will be loosed in heaven. Now this proves that the kingdom of God today is the reality of the kingdom of the heavens. Or to turn that around, that the, that the reality of the kingdom of the heavens today, yeah, that's what the kingdom of God is. Because the keys here that Jesus gave to Peter refer to his preaching of the gospel in the book of Acts. What did Peter do when he preached the gospel in the book of Acts? He opened the door to the kingdom of the heavens. You know, when, when uh, the, uh, John the Baptist and Jesus both came in, uh, in Matthew, they could only say the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. It was not there yet. But with the preaching of the gospel in the book of Acts, the door to the kingdom of the heavens is opened. So uh, it's, you have to note here, when Jesus says, he doesn't say, I will give you the key to the kingdom of the heavens. He says keys. It's plural. Why is it plural? Because on the day of Pentecost, there was a, Peter preached the gospel there. And on that day, the door of the kingdom of the heavens was opened to the nation of Israel. All the Jews could enter into the kingdom of the heavens by entering into, uh, by repenting and believing and becoming a part of the church as the kingdom of God on the earth today. That's in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 10, Peter used the other key that the Lord gave him. And that was the gospel when he preached the gospel in the house of Cornelius. And at that time, the door was open for the Gentiles also to enter into the kingdom of the heavens. So when you see here, when Jesus says, I'm, what I'm giving you is not just the gospel. He specifically says, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of the heavens. So that strongly proves that the preaching of the gospel in the book of Acts is the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of the heavens. Praise the Lord. So um, that, so we need to be clear today. When we preach the gospel, and yes, it's called the kingdom of God, but it's a, a specific aspect of the kingdom of God, and that is the reality of the kingdom of the heavens on the earth today. You know, as the believers in Christ, we should have a strong sense uh, that we're under the heavenly ruling. You know, uh, it's right to say when we believe in Jesus, uh, he comes and, live in our heart, and lives in our heart. We have his divine life. Praise the Lord for that. But you know what we also have as the believers in Christ? He puts his throne inside of us. He comes to rule in us as our heavenly king. Praise the Lord for that. So we should have a sense wherever we are. Uh, I'm not so free. Uh, I'm not, I, I don't just get to... Uh, uh, do this or do that according to whatever I feel. I should have a sense I'm under a heavenly ruling. My life is under the ruling of the heavenly king. And when the believers are built up in this way, as those who are under the ruling of the heavenly king, that's when God has his kingdom on the earth. And moreover, that's when you're going to see the building up of the body of Christ. To go back to Matthew 16, first Jesus says, first Peter has the revelation of Christ. Right. Then Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church. And then he says, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of the heavens. So it's when we have the kingdom of the heavens, that's when you have the building up of the church. Praise the Lord for that. And it's striking in the original promise concerning uh, the kingdom of, that God gave to David. 
God gave him that promise when David had a feeling, a desire within his house to build up God's dwelling place on the earth, which was at that time the temple. And that was a picture of God's dwelling place in reality, which is the church. So this matter of the kingdom uh, is strongly related to the, today to the building up of the body of Christ on the earth. The Lord needs to have believers who are living under his heavenly authority so he can build up uh, his dwelling place on the earth. And that's, that's what we want to get to into in the next segment, really begin to talk about what does this look like then if, uh, if we're those who are living under the heavenly authority that God can use to bring his kingdom to the earth and ultimately uh, to fulfill the promise that he made to David and establish his ruling over the earth uh, to put an end to the rebellion in this present evil age. Uh, of course, that as we live under the, the heavenly ruling today, uh, we're living uh, in, in the midst of, a, of the rebellion. But when the Lord comes back, that rebellion will be put fully to an end. And then he will establish righteousness on the earth at that time. Praise the Lord. So that's uh, our, really our charge, our commitment from the Lord today is to live under his heavenly ruling so he can have his kingdom on the earth and build up his church. Praise the Lord for that. So that will be enough for, for this segment. And in the next segment, we will go on and continue to talk about this matter of, of what it really looks like as those who are under, if we live as those who are under the heavenly ruling today. So we will be back with you on the other side of the break. This program is produced along with our website, thechristianfaith.org to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by his mercy, may use the ChristianFaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour to help the believers in Christ grow in our knowledge both of our Savior and of our faith in him, so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for his purpose in these dark times. Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life and to sign up for our e-letter, which deals with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on this program or on our website or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at questions at thechristianfaith.org. May this program and the christianfaith.org website be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and to all of God's children for his sake and his glory. Amen. Hello and welcome back to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. So as I said in this uh, segment, uh, we want to talk about, okay, what is it we've talked about what it means to live under the heavenly ruling, to be a part of the kingdom of the heavens today, uh, to be those who really live according to the gospel of the kingdom. But now we want to really kind of define what does that look like? What does it mean? Uh, if, if we say that we're living under the heavenly ruling, what, what effect should that have on our life? And uh, for that, we're going to bring on another brother. This is Brother uh, Jim Ruffin from Dayton, Ohio. And uh, just, Jim, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hey, Jim. Uh, welcome to the program. And, uh, Thank you. Glad you could be with us. It's your first time, right? So, yeah, praise yes, the Lord. Yeah, yeah we've, we've tried a couple times to have you on. So, 
<laughs> yeah, but fi- it finally worked out. And I should, so the listeners know, I've known Jim since uh, 1984, actually, right? We were in a, a Bible training together. That was with Brother Titus Chu in Cleveland, Ohio, and in Chicago. Uh, where were you living at that time, Jim? Cleveland. You were you were in Cleveland. Okay, okay, right. And, uh, uh, yeah, so that's, we were in that training together. That was a, a big... Uh, 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 time in my life. When I, I, I'd just been saved a year before, and then I was able to, by the Lord's mercy, to go into that Bible training, and uh, uh, it was a real blessing. And Jim, of course, was a part of that. He was also in the training. So, yeah, my goodness, Jim, is what, 40 years now almost? Wow. Praise yeah, the Lord. Uh-huh. <laughs> time goes by. Amen. Well, Amen. Uh, so, Jim, you're serving the Lord now in, in, in Dayton, Ohio, and, of course, you've been serving the Lord for many years, uh, uh, and I know you were listening to the first part of the program. Do, uh, do you have any comments or questions? Uh, I, sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm used to saying that to the listeners who might have comments or questions. I encourage them. Send us a note at uh, thechristianfaith.org. But, Jim, if, do you have any comments or thoughts about uh, what I shared in the first part of the program? Yes, I... Uh... I appreciate the fact that you made it, made it clear that there is quite a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the heavens. And the scriptures, um, in a sense, do not give you uh, a lot of definitive uh, points in this regard. It just makes references. And that, I think, is where some of the problem is. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it carefully, uh, as you mentioned in Matthew, there are 29 references to the kingdom of heaven. Mm. And But Luke and Mark, right, they both use the term kingdom of God. And so that's why there's a lot of scholars that feel that they're just theologically identical. But in the way that... Right. Matthew is is using these, this this term. Uh, it indicates that there's something special about it. Uh, so, you know, he uh, is trying to help us understand that there is a heavenly realm, and that when Jesus came, he brought that heavenly realm with him. Amen. Yeah, really so. Before that time, there was not such a thing. God did interact with his people on the earth, but that was the kingdom of God in the overall sense. But the subsection of the kingdom of God is related to essentially God himself and his realm. Now, we often, when we, you know, even speak about the realm of God, I think most people refer to that as the third heavens, <laughs> right? Yeah, because where we're throwing us today, yeah, right. Yeah, because we realize there's more than one place where, you know, the, the different uh, beings are located. Um and, uh, of, of course, the third heavens, what, what, it doesn't really tell us, though, what that signifies. But I think when you mention the term the kingdom of the heavens, I think that is the definition of it, because it is referring, strictly speaking, to the triune God, 
and the realm he has created for himself to what? To fulfill his purpose on the earth. Of course, also to fulfill his purpose in the heavens. Well, that's, yeah, and uh, that's that's the prayer of the Lord, and I mentioned that in Matthew uh, chapter six, I think it's verse nine and ten. Your uh, your kingdom come, your will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Yes. So yes, God's will is being done in in heaven. There's no problem there. The question is whether or not yes. His will is going to be done on the earth, and that's that's, that's right. the that's really the definition of the kingdom of the heavens. It's when uh, again the heavens are ruling over the earth, right? Imagine. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. And so the big the big problem obviously is the earth. Yes. Um, of course, for the earth to be affected, there has to be someone that brings this heavenly realm. And the problem is that man does not, in his natural state, have or is not a part of that heavenly realm in our fallen state yeah really so really so yeah so when jesus came though there was all of a sudden uh a big impact because now he was not merely a part of the earthly realm amen he he was a part of the heavenly realm yeah he really brought heaven the heavens to the earth really so yeah exactly right he brought the heavens to the earth so in a sense, this divine and mystical realm in which the triune God lives, all of a sudden, was now beginning to be manifested on the earth. Amen. And even though the kingdom of God was operating to some extent through men, especially according to the law, but they did not uh, at that time have the divine life, which brings the reality of the kingdom of the heavens. Mm. So this was the first thing that needed to be done so that man could now express the reality of the kingdom of the heavens. Yeah, you know, Jim, as you were were sharing, I was just thinking, yeah, Jesus, he brought the heavens to the earth— but, of course, right. he was rejected, and he was crucified right. by the nation of Israel, also by the Romans, right, who they actually yeah, carried out right. the sentence. Uh, but now, today, he sends us. Okay, right. he says, they've rejected me, but, okay, so now I'm sending you, as he, he says in, in John chapter 20, as the Father sent me, I send you, right? They've rejected right. me, but now I'm sending you, and he sends us for the same reason to establish his kingdom yes. on the earth. But I appreciate the point you make because I, I didn't bring this out, you know, in, in what I was sharing. To do this, we have to be those, we absolutely have to be those who have the divine life. And that's in John right. chapter 3. It says, uh, unless you're born anew, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So right. the only way we can, uh, and, and, and again, as I said, in, in this segment, we're talking about what it looks like to live in the, in the kingdom of God. The first requirement is we have to have the new birth. Without the new birth, there's no way we can live in the kingdom of God. That's right. Mm-hmm. Amen. So, uh, Amen. In, so I think a lot of people then get confused and mixed up because that's why they often try to say, well, um, we need to continue to keep 
the the law. Right. All right. Because that is an aspect of the kingdom of God. There's no doubt about that. The law is good because it represents who God is. But the problem with it is that it falls short. And this is why the Lord had to give a new covenant, a second covenant, because the first one was inadequate. Hmm. It could not bring the reality of the kingdom of the heavens into being. So no matter how hard men tried, it was not possible. Even though he didn't realize that, or man did not realize that, he kept trying. <laughs> yeah, God knew. God knew that wasn't going to work. Yeah, man, yeah right. But, he, but he needed man to find out, too, it didn't work. And to be honest, yeah. in our, our own life, I think a lot of times that's we go through that experience ourselves. We all try to keep the law a little bit, and we realize we can't do it. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. Amen. Uh, and a lot of Christians try to go back to the law because yeah. they they think that is what they should be doing. Okay, but that misses the point of the kingdom of the heavens. In fact, if you look at Galatians 5, you know, it mentions the fruit of the Spirit, Hmm. which is quite interesting. Uh, Galatians 5, uh, I think it's, uh, what, 22? Uh, But the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then it says, against such, there is no law. All Hmm. of a sudden, I wondered why Paul added that last part. Because I think he realized that the fruit of the Spirit is to express the virtues of Christ, which is the reality of the kingdoms of the heavens. And the law was not able, okay, to produce this, even though it had characteristics of what God desired, but... It couldn't fulfill what God, God desired. Is, God, is, God is interested in the change of our inner being. Amen. Not not merely our outward performance. Amen. So living, if we're living in the reality of the kingdom of the heavens, you're saying, it will be by the divine life. And right. as we live by this divine life, we're going to be producing the fruit of the Spirit. That's an indication we're That's really correct. living in the reality of the kingdom of the heavens. That's correct. Yeah. And what's interesting, too, in Galatians chapter, uh, earlier in Galatians chapter 5, verses uh, in 19, he talks about the works mm-hmm. of the flesh. Of course, in the verses you quoted, were oh, yeah, about right. the fruit of the Spirit. But in verse 19, he says, right. The works of the flesh are evident and gets all these negative, evil things, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, right. idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, reveries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand. Now, he's speaking to the believers now. I tell right. you beforehand. Just as I told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So right. this, that's on the, on the positive side. If we're living in the reality of the kingdom of the heavens, that we're going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. But he's warning the believers here. This is not spoken to unbelievers. Right. If these evil things, right. if this is what we're producing in our life, 
We really yeah. need to be before God and realize something's not right with my life. And we all sin. Nobody's going to be perfect, right? But if, right. if the kind of life that we live is according to these evil things, Paul warns us. He says, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I want to, I think, Jim, as I say that, I have to be, uh, I always have to make this clear because believers, very nobody understands this today. He's not talking about our eternal destiny. He's not saying if you practice these things, you're going to lose your salvation. The kingdom of God here is the kingdom of heavens manifest on the earth in the 1,000-year reign of Christ. That's what he's talking about. He's saying you're not if you live this way in this age, you're not going to enter into that period as a time of blessing. You're going to miss out on that blessing. He's not, but he's not saying you're going to lose your, uh, lose your salvation. And the proof of that, there's a very similar verse in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 5. He says, Paul's again, he's talking to the believers. He says, this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Right. So when it talks about the kingdom of Christ, that's a specific reference to the millennial reign of Christ. So when right. he talks in this way, he's talking, he's saying, if you live this way in this age, you're not going to participate in the millennial reign of Christ. That's a very sober word. Now, that's another topic. We don't want to develop that too much today, but just, I just want to mention that briefly so the listeners understand what we're talking about. But we should be, yeah. just to go back to what you were saying, Jim, we should be those who are producing the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. That's correct. Yeah. Right. And uh, a further even example of the fact that there is a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the heavens is what Jesus said in Matthew eleven eleven, Because he said, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yeah. But then he says, yet the one who is least mm, yeah. in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Yes. Now yeah. I would say, how could that be possible? If John was the greatest under the old covenant, how could the least in the kingdom of heaven be greater than he? Yeah, because for sure, John the Baptist was living in the kingdom of God. He was one under God's authority. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah. You know, it, do, it, doesn't make, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. How could you be the least in the kingdom of heaven but be greater than John? Yeah. Well, the whole point is, is that even though John, all right, was the best you could get under the old covenant, it doesn't compare at all to what we get in the new covenant. Because we get the triune God living in our being. We have, because we and, have the divine life, really so. Really because so. of the divine life, yes. And we get the ruling and reigning of God in us. Amen. All right? Which he did not have inwardly, although he may have had it outwardly. And there's a big difference there. Yeah. And, and that's what a lot of people don't see. Amen. You, you, you know, and just to stress, this life that we receive in the new birth— kind of what you're touching on there, is for something. Mm -hmm. and, and, and Right. You know, maybe to go back to, to the original uh, point we were making uh, about why we, we had some feeling to cover this topic is because so few believers have this realization today. You know, just right. like you were saying, having this life means we're in the kingdom of the heavens. At least we have the... Uh, uh, the ability to be in the kingdom of the heavens if we have this divine life. That's what makes us greater than even John the Baptist, because we have a life that he did not have. We have this inward operation of the Spirit. But to look yeah, at it right. another way, we should have a profound realization. I have this life for a reason. 
This life right. isn't just so I can have some spiritual enjoyment. It's not just so uh, I can uh, have some fellowship with other saints, with other believers, have, have a feel, think, feeling of some satisfaction. The life that we receive in the Gospel of John is for the kingdom that we see in the Gospel of Matthew. It enables us to right. live this kind of kingdom life. We could never live this kind of kingdom life apart from receiving the divine life in Christ. And that's why he gives us that life. Now, I just that's think right. that so few believers today have this kind of a, a realization. And it's such a serious matter. My goodness, and like you're saying, how great we are. To be greater than John the Baptist, that's not a small thing. But we're, right. we have, there's a view. The New Testament has a view. Where he, we get this life and we're put in this place so we can enter into the reality of the kingdom of the heavens. Amen, John. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. Now, I always like to use the example uh, of someone who was born of a royal family but has no knowledge of it. Mm. So, yeah, really, yeah. So they, so. they, yeah. Grow up, they grow up being like a commoner. Oh, right? And then one day someone uses, shows their DNA and they say, hey, wait a minute, you're, you're, you're uh, mm. the son of the king. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Lord. You've been living like a commoner all yeah. these years. Yeah. Amen, Jim. Right? Really so, yeah. But as, soon, but as soon as he finds out, right, he's brought into the royal family and, uh, you know, he begins to learn what it means to be royalty. Yeah. Actually. Well, and, that's, and, yeah, and really very, so, Jim, yeah. That, that's what we're doing today. In a sense, we're really learning what it is to have this heavenly life, what this life can do within us. And that's, you know, we're, that's right. we, that we're, we're being disciplined. If we're the yes, disciples, exactly. that means we're being disciplined so we can learn how to reign with Christ in the coming age. Yeah, amen, Jim. That's another aspect exactly of what it means right. to live in the kingdom. Yeah, Right. So I think that's why, you know, it's, it's diff- well, the, the evil one has blinded many yes. uh, believers yeah. to this fact. Right. In fact, the only thing he does is condemn us so that we will feel inadequate. Right. And uh, that causes us not to pursue, not to, uh, you know, seek the Lord for this transforming work that he wants to do inside of us. Because we are literally a new creation from what we were before. Now we are part of God's heavenly kingdom, which is the reality of this new creation. Amen. And we need to, you know, strive for it. It doesn't just come automatically. Well, that's right. It, it's not easy, and the Lord knows that. Yeah, really so. Right. Yeah. And, 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 you know, with many not realizing that is the case, they arbitrarily just kind of live their Christian life, you know, uh, almost willy-nilly sometimes. Yeah. Uh, as long as they—see, they, they think as long as they do the right things, you know, in other words, they go to the church meeting— they read their Bible once in a while. They pray once in a while. <laughs> you know, this kind of thing. Or they try to, what, what's the uh, the, the golden rules? Um, yeah. Uh, treat your neighbor. Do unto others. Want is... them to treat you. Right. Yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. Well, you know, that is definitely uh, a backward step because you're not realizing your potential. We just have a few seconds left, Jim. So yeah. So so any uh, just go ahead and wrap up that thought. Just go ahead. Yeah. So. so in other words, that the Lord really wants us to know who we are, what we are, and what He's trying to do in us to be part of His heavenly 
kingdom. Amen. Yeah, and it's Amen. and it's not easy, and he knows it's not easy. But if if we feel we're failing, don't take the enemy's accusation. Just realize we just repent for the kingdom of the heavens. That's what I would say. Repent for the kingdom right. of the heavens, and then the Lord will have a way in our life again. Praise the Lord. Right. Amen, Jim. I'm really glad you could be with us. And uh, finally, yeah, like I said, we should be, be here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good to have you on for uh, at last. And that's going to wrap it up for this week, Jim. We'll, we'll talk to you again soon. And we, uh, listeners, we thank you for being with us as well. And as the Lord allows, we plan to be with you again next Saturday morning. Praise the Lord. Bye-bye. been listening to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. You can visit us online at our website, thechristianfaith.org. And if you have comments or questions, send us an email at questions at thechristianfaith.org. And to listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify.